Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, the modified internal rate of return, and then after that you will have a quiz to take. Now this is a special quiz because you take it in class and then you have a second chance to take it uh, at any time before 11.59 p.m. tonight. Unless you don't want that second chance, you can just let me know right now. And I will change it back to one attempt, but your high score will count for this quiz. Now the reason I'm doing this is this can be one of those difficult subjects because you're doing component cost of capital calculations and you should do that quiet, carefully and check your work to make sure that you got it right, unlike me sometimes. Okay, now little preliminary before we start here. The capital budgeting decision-making exercise, there are three ways that I showed you. The payback period method, the net present value method, and Finally, the internal rate of return method. Now, the one that is the dog in this is the payback period method. It had been fading from favor in the 1990s and then it's found a resurgence of popularity for some reason or other. But taking that for what it's worth, I'm trying to think here. There, the, the problem is obvious with the payback period method, but there is a, also a flaw that doesn't show up all the time, but it, sh but it can show up in the internal rate of return method. And it has to do, well, let me, it actually goes to something from your dark, dark days in algebra, of all things. Now, I don't know the extent to which they showed you this in your senior high or maybe in your class math class here, but it has to do with polynomial theory, and it bites us in the butt with internal rate of return of all things. Let me show you something here. Um, uh, let me draw this um, first thing here. Uh, this was the year and the free cash flow from that problem I did last time. And year zero, you kick in $50,000. Then year one, you start to pull some money, 5000 Year two, you're up to 15000 Year three, 
you were up to 32,000. And then in year four, including the salvage value, the project ends with $11,000 in free cash flow. Nothing big there. Hidden in here is a detail that seems not to be that important. Notice that the sign of the free cash flow switches just once. 50,000 and then it switches to positive and it stays positive to the end of the project. Now I'm going to switch over to something that I, like I said, I don't know if they even show this that much anymore, but here's the thing. Y equals, oh, let's say negative four fifths X plus 12 sevenths. You remember that from your days, that's a linear equation. Nothing fancy about that. But there's a hidden thing here. The highest power of x is a 1, which we usually don't write unless it's a bigger number. We call that a degree 1 polynomial. This free cash flow. If you remember, the NPV profile line, discount rate, plotted against NPV, is a linear, is a line, a straight line. Okay, linear equation, straight line. And one more thing. It crosses the axis once. In fancy terminology, it has one root. You might remember you had equations like y equals negative 5 eighths x squared plus 2 thirds x plus 4 sevenths. Well, that's a degree 2 polynomial. And if you remember, linears are like that, degree two polynomials. They can look like that, like that, or they could even look like that. They're parabolas, or parabolas if you're Italian, parabolas. But the most roots it can have is two. It, the most it can cross the x-axis is twice. A degree 3 polynomial, y equals negative 5 ninths x cubed plus 1 third x squared minus 3 eighths x plus 1 seventh. That's a degree three polynomial. The highest power of x is three. And if you remember how cubics are graphed, they can look like this. They can look like this. Or they can look like
that. The most times that a cubic can cross the x-axis is three times. Degree three. The power, the highest power of x, is always going to be how many possible times it can cross the axis. Well, that has an interesting alignment here. An NPV profile that has one sign switch will cross the axis once. But if I had an NPV profile like, oh, well, let's just say that in this one, I had an NPV profile where at the end, we have negative 50,000, 5,000, 15,000, 32,000. But at the end, there was so much environmental remediation that the last year had um, a negative 4,000. One sign switch, negative to positive, 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 and then a second sign switch. Its NPV profile line would look like this. It's a degree two polynomial. If it had three sign switches, there was a negative like right here, one, two, three, it would have three places that cross the x-axis. That's a problem because in finance, we interpret where it crosses the x-axis as the internal rate of return. But what happens if it crosses the x-axis twice? There'd be two internal rates of return. If there were three sign switches, there'd be three internal rates of return. Well, what do those mean? They mean nothing. If it crosses the x-axis more than once, not one of those internal rates of return have any meaning in finance. None of them do. <coughs> now, you could actually put this into uh, a calculator or Excel. You put that in and say, find me the internal rate of return, and it'll tell you one because it'll find the one closest to where it started estimating where it thought it was. But it means nothing. The internal rate of return completely breaks down if the free cash flow switch is signed more than once. NPV still works, but the problem is that the um, internal rate of return no longer has any meaning. But Lord knows there is a big fan club of internal rate of return out there. And there are even some finance textbooks that try to make some sense of what those different internal rates of return mean. And none of them do, but there's that. However, there's a trick you can do. It's called a modified internal rate of return. And I will guarantee you that doing it by hand or even doing it on a TI calculator is a pain in the butt. Excel actually has an MIRR function that does it. Let me explain how it's, how it's done. I'm gonna write um, a free cash flow example here with some sign switches. 
look, let's try this one. Year free cash flow. Let's start out with year zero. You're putting in $50,000. In year one, you come out $5,000. We're, we're cruising here. Then in year two, you have, oh, let's say 15000 But in year three, you have to put more money into the project, probably based upon what you find out about purchasing patterns and consumer complaints or whatever. So in year three, you're down negative, let's say 12,000. And then you recover year four, you are, up to, let's say, uh, you pull in 30,000. And then in year five, uh, let's see if we, uh, you pull in, let's say another 25. And in year six, you have, with including salvage value, let's say you have 8,000. No, no, I want that to be a little bit leaner than that. Let's change year five to 15,000. Okay. Here's how MIRR works, and I am not going to do it by hand. I'm just going to tell you what you would do if you did it by hand. It works on the idea That there is a financing rate. When the company has to put money into a project, it has a cost. Weighted average cost of capital, something like that. Let's say it's 6%. And then when money comes in, the company has a return on money that it gets and puts into projects. Let's say the reinvestment rate here is 10%. When money comes in, the company can invest it and make 10%. Okay. Here's how MIRR works. You take all of the negative free cash flows and you find their present value and add them to the initial negative. So in this case, I take the negative 12,000 and I do one plus financing rate, in this case, to the negative third power. And then I would add that to the original investment. If there were more negatives, you would put those, do their present values and put those in. So ultimately you would have one big fat number here. Anything that was a positive, you would take its future value at the reinvestment rate and add it to the last number. So you get some big number there at the end. And then you would put zeros for all the ones in between. So in other words, you would turn that cash flow into big number, big negative, 
zero, 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 and then a big positive number at the end. And everything else would be, and that's how you do it. Now in practice, if I were to do this, and I'm not gonna, I'm not quite stupid enough to try it, I'm just gonna show you abstractly how it would be done on the calculator. Apps, finance, oh, I'm just, Deciding I was going to do it and make it a secret to you. Sorry. <laughs> apps, uh, apps, finance, and you'd go down here to the IRR, and you'd have some giant number at the beginning. Let's say that that would be like negative sixty-two thousand dollars, and then you put a comma, open your braces. And you would put zeros for years one, two, three, four, and five. And then that future value summation, let's say that that comes out to be 85,000. Then you close the braces, close the parenthesis, and you do internal rate of return. 5.440%. But you can see what a pain in the butt this would be because you'd have to get all of those present values at the financing at the financing rate and all the future values at the reinvestment rate to get the number that goes in here and in here. Again, pain in the butt. Excel for lack of a better term, excels at this. Wow, that was a joke. <clears throat> anyway, I'll shut up now and go ahead. So watch. You're gonna do year and free cash flow. And over here, I'm gonna put the financing rate and the reinvestment rate. So I can change those if I want to. Now putting in years zero through six. And then the free cash flows, there was negative 50,000. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there was 5,000, whoops, 5,000. And then there was 15,000 and negative 12,000. Watch my numbers here. And then 30,000 and then 15,000 and then 8,000. And my financing rate was 6%. And my reinvestment rate, if I get money, if the company gets money in, is 10%. And the modified internal rate of return. It's, it's, it's ridiculously easy. All you do is say equals MIRR, open parenthesis. Now you're going to give it, oh, 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 oh yeah, I'm okay. Now you're going to give it the whole stream of data of free cash flows from zero through six. 
Then you're going to put in a comma, and you're going to put in the financing rate, and then a comma, and the reinvestment rate. Seven percent. Let me uh, scooch that over a little bit. Whoops. Seven point one three percent. You follow it? That's all there is to it. I mean, it's just—it's stupidly easy to do this. Now, one interesting thing. This is actually an, an kind of a an important number. Do you see how the modified internal rate of return of this project is 7.13%? The cost of capital for the project was 6%. So if I want to say, is this a go or a no-go, I could say right now it's a go because it earns more than it cost. It doesn't hit as good as our normal reinvestment rate, but it's certainly paying off at a rate higher than what it costs to do the project. So I could say, yeah, this is okay. Now, interestingly enough, NPVs don't give a rat's ass about switches in cash flow. So you can just do an NPV and be done with it. However, you should have an NPV and an MIRR that agree. Let me see about that NPV here. NPV. Now remember with that stupid NPV formula, you have to put in the initial investment separately. Why they think it's, that's really an NPV if you don't have the, the, the initial investment. But NPV at the rate. Now this would be your probably your financing rate, your weighted average cost of capital or something like that, comma, and the pause and the years one through six. Be careful about that with NPV. All you put in that after the financing rate is the years one through the end. You put the initial in separately as a front end of it. Close the parenthesis. Let's see how this does. Oh, percent my ass. I want that as a normal number. That's interesting because it has a negative NPV. So your question would be, well, which should I take here? The NPV is robust. And so I would probably say, even though the MIRR comes out to be okay, the NPV is still negative. And so, you know, it would depend on whether where you were working was an IRR fan or an NPV fan, which you would say. The main argument I would say is we would reject the project. One, because the NPV is negative. And two, yes, the modified internal rate of return exceeds the cost of doing the project but it isn't as good as what we would normally expect to make on money coming in. It's kind of complicated that way. It's, uh, you'd have to kind of, you pays your penny, you takes your choice. But in this case, you can see that it is a little bit of a fuzzy area. However, be aware that internal rate of return is popular and a lot of times they don't even think about the sign switches. Yeah. So if, if our MIRR is more towards 10%, do you think the NPV would be positive? 
Yes, I do. Watch this. Uh, let's take that last year and make that 20,000. Obviously, the MIRR is going to go up, but so is the NPV. See how as you're getting closer to the, the reinvestment rate, the NPV suddenly says we're good. Yeah, go ahead. Can you show that NPV? Sure can. Watch. I'm going to. Now the problem here is equals for NPVs. On your calculator, it's right there in the NPV formula, the initial investment. But Excel doesn't think that year zero belongs there, so you have to put it in on its own as the first thing. Then plus NPV, and then you give it your financing rate or your weighted average cost of capital or whatever you want to do, comma, and then do years one through six. In the last class, I just, without even thinking about it, I grabbed the zero year two and everything was messed up, so I looked like an ass. But yeah, don't forget, it's just the year one through the end with inside of the NPV formula. Okay, just remember that. And so there, there's, some, there's a problem. Now here's an interesting thing. Realistically, the financing rate and the reinvestment rate are going to be different things. Well, I wish I hadn't done that equal. <laughs> but I think the homework problems that you get in the book, they use the same one for both of them. They say use 6% or whatever for both the financing rate and the reinvestment rate. And that, that's not realistic at all, but again, Notice that for the NPV, you use only years one through the end. And why it wants to give a percentage? What? Oops. That just kind of blows. Did I screw that? Yeah, you're right. That should be B2. Sorry about that. Thank you. See, I knew I was going to make some mistake in here. But, uh, yeah. And as you see, as the financing rate goes up, the nice thing is, notice how I'm doing that by reference so that I can just change this and it changes all of my results. Nasty. But anyway, now, my recommendation, whenever you're doing a homework, especially if it's on a web page, try to highlight the data and copy it and then just go over to Excel and paste it in Excel instead of trying to rekey all the data in. You probably, some of you already know that, I suppose. But anyway, that's the subject. And you all have a quiz to take. It might not be open quite yet, but you can get prepared for it.
Okay. The password is cats forever. Exclamation point. And you are on your way. <laughs>